0: Well, hello, it is so good to see all of you. So glad that you're here today. And welcome also, though, to those of you watching online, as well as joining us from our campuses. My name's Aaron. If it's your first time here, I'm one of the teaching pastors, and I get to lead us through part five of this series on Daniel. And uh, as we jump in today, I just got a question for you. Have you ever been in a situation where you tried to do something to impress a group of people, And it didn't exactly go to plan. You ever been there? It was like that time that you thought, maybe I can still do a back handspring. But you didn't. (laughs) That time you discovered maybe karaoke's not your thing. Now, me, uh, this sort of thing happened to me this very week, just a couple days ago. So uh, every month or so, the staff of Ada Bible Church uh, all comes together, all campuses, staff for an all-staff meeting. And we use this time uh, to worship together, pray together. Sometimes there's a, a type of training. Often Pastor Jeff will share an encouragement or maybe some vision for the future. It's just a, it's a great time for our staff. And uh, most often uh, we start that meeting with some kind of game, you know, some kind of icebreaker. And so it happened this week. Tuesday morning, I got a text from my friend Luke, who oversees our student ministry at Lifeline. And he asked me in the text, Hey, do you want to be part of the game that's going to kick off the All Staff? And I said, Sure. Because I'm thinking, Hey, it's probably like a trivia game or something, and I am awesome at trivia. I'll just dominate, you know? (laughs) Now, what I wish I would have said is, What's the game? But I didn't, okay? And so I showed up at the all-staff meeting. I get called to the front of everybody on staff, along with a couple other people. And it turns out the game was a competition between the contestants, and the game was sort of hold that pose. And so just imagine just ridiculous poses that you had to hold the, the most accurately and for the longest period of time. And oh, by the way, it was like a partner game. So I was teamed up with Kyle Pierpont, uh, campus pastor here at the Cascade campus. And uh, well, let me just show you some of the ridiculousness that ensued, okay? Yeah, okay, so that, yeah, if you can't tell, that's me, and Kyle Pierpont is holding me up in the air. I'm sort of flying, and, uh, you know, Kyle's right here. I was thinking, maybe we just reenact it. You know, that would be fun. Uh, now, I know some of you are just... Desperately disappointed right now because we're not actually going to do that. So I, you know, I thought I was going to dominate some trivia game, and instead, well, it was kind of embarrassing but fun for everybody, and there's probably literally hundreds of these photos on the internet now. So. Now, this series that we're in in Daniel, uh, today we're going to be exploring chapter 5, and what happens in the story today is that the king of Babylon, he's going to try to do something to impress a huge group of people. And uh, for him, it's kind of like my hold that pose moment. But not only is he going to be embarrassed in front of a group of people, uh, the problem is that what he does to try to impress this group of people, well, it, it really disrespects the God of Israel. You see, he does something that dishonors the most high God. And what we're going to find out as we explore this story is that God cares about his honor. God cares very much about his honor and this king of Babylon, it's not going to go well for him. And so I want to talk today about God's honor and what it looks like to live a life that honors God. And as we talk about honoring God and respecting God, I wonder if your initial thoughts just kind of go to our culture, go to our society, because it's easy to just go, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on in our society right now that, that really doesn't honor God. And you know what, that's true. But my hope for this conversation today is that instead of looking outside and going, you know what, I see a lot of stuff that doesn't honor God, my hope is that you would be willing to look inside, and wrestle with a very difficult but important question. Does my life honor God? My thoughts? My words? My entertainment choices? My relationships? Do these aspects of my life, do they honor God? Do I I adequately respect the God of the universe with my life. Friends, I think today could be an important message for us because this could be a a defining moment in your life, a moment where you say, you know what? I am going to pursue a life that honors God. Or a defining moment where you just go, that's enough. Today is the day where I stop Dishonoring God with this relationship or this behavior or this way of speaking or whatever it is. I just believe today could be a defining moment for us as we wrestle with what it means to live a life that honors God. So we're going to be spending our time in Daniel chapter 5. And as we walk through this sermon, it's just three parts Uh, three parts uh, on a conversation on what it looks like to honor God with our lives. And the first part of this message is just this, uh, who he is. If you want to live a life that honors God, it's going to have something to do with who God is. And so let's jump in, uh, uh, Daniel chapter 5, verse 1, it starts like this. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet. For a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. This story is about a giant drinking party (laughs) thrown by the king of Babylon. That's the setting. Now, if you've been following along in this series, you're going, okay, time out. Belshazzar, who is King Belshazzar? Because up until this point, the king of Babylon in every story in Daniel has been Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar is the one who conquered Jerusalem. He's the one that pillaged Jerusalem, stole the stuff from from God's temple, stole all the money, kidnapped Daniel and his friends and forced them to work in his government. Up until this point, it's been all about Nebuchadnezzar. So who's King Belshazzar? Well, scholars believe that uh, between chapters 4 and chapter 5 of Daniel, about 40 or 50 years have elapsed. And in that time, Nebuchadnezzar has died. And actually, his ruling family, like his dynasty, has been overthrown. And a new ruling family has come into power, and Belshazzar is part of that ruling family. So this is, this is King Belshazzar. Now, you're going to notice as we walk through this story that Nebuchadnezzar will repeatedly be referred to as Belshazzar's father. But if you are following along in a physical copy of the scriptures or maybe uh, some online uh, app or something like that, you'll see a footnote next to father, that points out that for the Babylonians, this was a term that often meant just predecessor. So it's gonna call Nebuchadnezzar his father, but it just means you know the king that came before. And we'll see an example of that as the story goes on. So Belshazzar throws a giant drinking party, uh, verse two. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, that's what I was talking about, has taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So Belshazzar's thrown down this drinking party. He's got 1,000 plus of his nobles and friends there. And then he says, I got an idea. Why don't you go to some of his servants or whoever, why don't you go to the temple and grab those golden and silver goblets that we took from the Jewish people's God, and why don't we drink out of them? Now, what was normal in the ancient world was that when you, when, if a kingdom conquered another kingdom, it was kinda like, our God beat your God, and so they would take the sacred items from that God's temple, and they would put them in this God's temple, And so for Babylon, when they conquered Jerusalem, they took God or Yahweh's sacred items and they put them in the temple of Marduk, the Babylonian god. I mean, it's a disrespectful thing to do, but at least it's like, no, we understand these items are sacred and so we'll put them in a temple. But Belshazzar just goes, pull out the items, let's party with these things. it's a very disrespectful, dishonoring thing to do to the God of Israel. But it gets worse. Verse 4 As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. I mean, imagine the scene. It's got the golden goblets from God's temple, sacred items to the worship of the God of Israel fill it up with wine, to Marduk, and throws it back. They're using God's sacred items to worship false gods. It's just a total, blatant disregard for who God is. A total dishonoring of the Most High God, the God of Israel. Now, as we talk about what it means for us to live lives that honor God. The the most obvious reaction to this story is, well, just not like that, right? And, And you're probably thinking, well, I would never do something like that. I mean, partying with God's sacred stuff? No. Tequila shots from the communion cups just honestly has never crossed my mind. I would never do that. And so I understand that there's this part of us that goes, yeah, what an idiot. I can't believe he did that. I would never do that. But you know, I think we have our own version of this our own version of dishonoring God for who he is. And to help us understand what I'm talking about here, I have an image that I think will be helpful. It's the image of a, of a buffet, okay? So, um, confession, I like buffets, okay? Mostly because I like to eat, I love food, and the thing about a buffet that's just great is you can take what you like and leave behind what you don't. I mean, that's the beauty of a buffet, right? More bacon, less broccoli. That's a buffet in a nutshell. (laughs) Now, the, the image here I think is helpful because I think we are often guilty Of treating God as if he's a buffet as if you can say to God "Uh, I I like this aspect of who you are not so much this and so I will take this and no thanks to that as in God is love I I like that about God The, the reality that God would look on me with affection I like that It's like a buffet. I I will take some of that. God is faithful. That, That famous scripture, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, I love that about God, that he is always with us. I will take some of that. God is forgiving, that God is willing to forgive me when I mess up. I so appreciate that about God. I will be back for seconds and probably thirds of that one. But then there's these aspects of God's character that maybe, if we're honest, we don't like, that we're uncomfortable with, that Jesus is not only Savior but also Lord, that he wants to save you and lead you, and requires authority in your life? Uh, (laughs) No thanks. That God is holy, meaning that he's perfect, that that he's set apart, and that he asks us as his followers to reflect him, as in we should be set apart from our culture and not look just like everybody else? Uh, That sounds kinda hard, I think I'll pass on that one. God is judge. The righteous judge who would hold us accountable. The God of justice who cares very much about how we treat the poor, how we treat refugees, how we treat those who are ostracized. There are aspects of God's character that make us more uncomfortable. And what I'm trying to say here is that when we treat God as if he's a buffet where we can say, yes, I'll take some of that and no thank you to that, what we're doing is disrespecting who God is. And so the question is, are you following the God of the Bible as he has revealed himself or have you invented a buffet God that you're comfortable with? Because to honor God with your life is to honor who he actually is, not who you want him to be or are comfortable with. And God will not allow us to define him based on our preferences. And Belshazzar, the king of Babylon, he's about to find this out. Jumping back into the story... Verse 5, suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. I mean, just imagine this. Utterly terrifying. A hand just appears and starts writing on the wall and Belshazzar is shook his face turned pale and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. I mean, he is totally freaked out. He's losing it. And I thought I was embarrassed being held in the air by Kyle Pierpon in front of a crowd. The king is absolutely terrified in front of this huge crowd that he's trying to impress. And the worst part is he can't read the words. This finger writes letters that that make no sense to him. And so he calls in his best advisors and he says to them, listen, whoever can interpret these letters, I will clothe you in purple, meaning you will become royalty and I will make you the third most powerful man in the empire. And so here come all these advisors, they're looking at the letters and nobody can translate the letters, And so he freaks out even more. He is terrified by what's happening. Now, you know what's worse than appearing like an absolute scaredy cat in front of this group of people that you're trying to impress? You know what's worse than that? Having your mom call you out for being a wimp in front of this huge crowd that you're trying to impress. And that, my friends, is exactly what happens Jumping down to verse 10, the queen, I believe it's the queen mother, the queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, what were they screaming in terror, came into the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. My translation, man up. Pull yourself together, Belshazzar. The queen calls him out in front of all of his friends for being a wimp and essentially says, chill out, get a hold of yourself, I got a guy that can help you. And this brings us to part two of this conversation about what it looks like to honor God with your life, what I'm calling where you are if you want to honor God with your life, where you are is important. And I know that doesn't make any sense yet, but as we walk through this story, I believe it will. So the queen, she's got a guy that can help her son out. And she says in verse 11, there is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, again, Nebuchadnezzar, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father, Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief, of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. That's all of his advisors. Who's she talking about here? Daniel. She's talking about Daniel, sort of the main character in this book that we've been studying. She says, look, Nebuchadnezzar had this guy, Daniel, chief of his advisors, that's the guy that you need. He can help you out here. And now what's shocking to me is it appears that Belshazzar's going, Daniel who? Like, who are you talking about? He doesn't know who Daniel is. Because in the upheaval in the government, Nebuchadnezzar's family is deposed, a new family rises to power. Daniel was forgotten and abandoned. And so he's a, he's a nobody in Babylon right now. But he's about to get dragged before the king and asked to help. Now, let's just pause right here and ask ourselves, What's it like to be Daniel? What has Daniel been through? I mean, think about this. When when Daniel was just a teenager living in Jerusalem, the Babylonians came and decimated his country. Many people were killed. His beloved city was ravaged, and he was taken as a slave off to Babylon. New country, new language, New religion, and he's forced to work in the Babylonian government. That's a tough experience for a teenager. But Daniel rises. He does really well. He applies himself and he rises and rises to the point that he becomes the chief of all the king's advisors, a very influential and powerful position. But then Nebuchadnezzar dies, his family is deposed, and he is forgotten and abandoned. And I think in this story, Daniel is something like 50, 60 years old. These Babylonians have taken his entire life. And so now he's about to be dragged before the king and asked to help, once again, this pagan empire. Let me ask you, what would you say if you were Daniel? How would you respond? Personally, I'm not thinking I'd be terribly helpful. Then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. That's what's up. I like this guy. I Spiting the pagan empire, right? Next verse. Nevertheless, I will read the writings for the king and tell him what it means. Oh, come on. What's up with Daniel? Why, after everything that has been taken from him by these Babylonians, is he still willing to help, still willing to serve this king? What's up with this guy? I think Daniel is a man who is driven by a desire to honor his God. It's like his highest priority And Daniel has a very clear vision of what it looks like to honor God in Babylon. And how does he have this clarity? I think it's because he heard from God. The prophet Jeremiah sent a message to the exiles living in Babylon, telling them specifically what it would look like for them to honor God in Babylon. So let's look at a letter that Jeremiah wrote to the exiles living in Babylon from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 7. Also, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for if it prospers, you too will prosper. Seek the peace and the prosperity of Babylon. Daniel, understand that honoring me in Babylon does not mean Started an insurrection. It does not mean sabotaging the Babylonians. No, to honor me here in Babylon is to serve as well as you can. And so Daniel understood what it looked like to honor God in Babylon. And so whatever situation he was in, whatever ruler he was serving, whatever circumstance role that he found himself, he sought to serve because he knew that is what would bring honor to God. You see, Daniel understands something that is crucial for us to understand if we want to live lives that honor God. If you want to honor God, that requires you to honor God right where you're at. Not where you want to be, right where you're at because it strikes me that Daniel was rarely where he wanted to be. He spent most of his life in Babylon serving. And so just a phrase that might help here. Wherever you are, honor God there. Daniel, the city you're in is not the city you wanna be in. And I think Daniel would say, wherever you are, Honor God there. What about us? The job you're in, it's not the job you want. You feel frustrated, you feel overlooked, you feel undervalued. Wherever you are, honor God there. The home you're in, it's not the home that you want. So sick of living in an apartment Another winter in this house? You've got to be kidding me. Wherever you are, honor God there. The family you're in, it's not the family you want. You just want so badly for your husband to change. Just so badly want children of your own. Wherever you are, honor God there. The body you're in, it's not the body you want. It's not the body that you would have chosen. Wherever you are, honor God there. What does it look like for you, wherever you find yourself, to surrender your frustrations... Surrender your ambitions, surrender your feelings, perhaps even surrender your attractions to the authority of Jesus. Wherever you are, honor God there. If you want to live a life that honors God, it's going to start with honoring him before you get to where you want to be. It's going to start right where you are. And this is what Daniel models for us. And there's something there's something I believe, and that's this. If you are willing to honor God in space that you would not choose and that you do not like, I believe it creates an opportunity for just a, a special kind of honoring to God. The kind of honoring that... That draws attention and perhaps can even give you influence in the lives of others. And that's, that's what Daniel's about to step into here in this moment. Because he promises the king, yeah, okay, I'll interpret, I'll interpret these words for you. But before he does, he's gonna give the king a little history lesson. And so this brings us to part three: what you know. If you're going to honor God with your life, it's going to require that you honor him with what you know. So here comes the history lesson. We are in verse 18. Your majesty, the most high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. And because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Verse 20, but when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. Now, this is the story we looked at last week, where King Nebuchadnezzar is standing in his palace looking over the city of Babylon and just going, look what I did. Look at this city that I built. Essentially going, I did this all on my own. And so God warns him of his pride and asks him to humble himself through a dream, which Daniel interprets. And the dream essentially says, look, if you don't humble yourself, God is going to turn your mind into that of a wild animal. You're going to go out into the fields and eat grass for seven years. So you might want to humble yourself. But he doesn't. He doesn't listen, and so God does exactly what he said he would do, and Nebuchadnezzar kind of loses his mind, goes off into the fields, eats grass for seven years until he humbles himself, at which point God restores his sanity, and he is restored to his throne. It's a powerful lesson in humility, a lesson that apparently Belshazzar didn't listen to. Because verse 22, Daniel continues, he says, But you, Belshazzar, his son... Have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Belshazzar knew this story. This history lesson wasn't news to him. And yet here he is at his big old drinking party making toast to the god of Marduk with God's sacred goblets. It's like you knew you didn't listen. And what Belshazzar's actions are saying is essentially this. Yeah, I knew, that. I knew that happened in Nebuchadnezzar, but that doesn't apply to me. I'm different. That doesn't affect me. This phrase, I think, is so important when it comes to honoring God with what you know. That doesn't apply to me. Because, friends, while, again, while we wouldn't do exactly what Belshazzar is doing, I think we do say these words in our attitudes and our actions. That doesn't apply to me. With what we know, with truth that we experience. You know what alcohol did to your dad. How it drove a wedge between him and your family. You know how it ravaged his health. And yet you have a... Fallen into some of the same drinking habits. And though maybe you wouldn't use the words, it's essentially, yeah, that doesn't apply to me. I'm different. And you know what refusing to forgive did to her. Her husband left, and she just refused, even after years, to forgive him. And now here you are, you're the one who's been wounded. And you're just going, yeah, but it's different. You don't understand. It's different. And essentially what you're saying is, yeah, that doesn't apply to me. And you know what pornography did to them, how it just nuked their marriage, nuked their family. And you're just going, yeah, but I can control it. I I can handle it. I don't need to ask for help. And you're saying, that doesn't apply to me. I know what the scriptures say about sex. I know what the scriptures say about money. I know what the scriptures say about the influence of friends, but I just, it doesn't fit my situation. I don't think God actually really cares that I'm doing this. That doesn't apply to me. And we find ways of rationalizing what we know to be true, whether it's something that we encounter in life, perhaps by observing somebody else, or most importantly, the truth of scripture. And so I just wonder, is there an area of your life where you're rationalizing truth? Where you're just going, yeah, I know how that played out in their life, but it's different for me. I know what the Bible says about that, but that doesn't apply to me. I think we need to be so careful with this. Because if we're gonna honor God for who he is, we have to honor the truth that he has revealed, especially the truth of scripture. And so Daniel says to Belshazzar, look, you knew what happened, but you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Honoring God matters because of who he is, because he is the king of the universe who holds our very lives in his hands. Therefore, Daniel says, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson. And this is what these words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians, the Persian Empire. And the story ends with Daniel being given those purple robes, making third highest, third highest uh, man in the kingdom. And then that very night, the Persians conquer Babylon, and Belshazzar is killed. God holds him accountable for what he knew. God cares about his honor. Now, as we wrap up, I want to draw your attention back to those three words, the inscription on the wall, specifically the second word, the word tekel. What what did it say again? Again, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. I just wonder... As we talk about what it looks like to live a life that honors God, if that's maybe how you feel, that when it comes to living a life that really honors God, I mean, fully and completely, you would just go, yeah, I don't measure up. I, I miss a mark. You know what? Me too. As human beings, we are incapable of living lives that fully and completely honor God. And so all of us stand accountable before the righteous judge. But here's the good news. The king of the universe, the righteous judge of all, in love for us, gave us his son. He sent Jesus, Jesus, the only one, who was weighed and found perfect. Jesus, who lived a perfect life and gave that life as a sacrifice to offer forgiveness to you and restoration to you so that you could be made alive once again. And that by trusting in Jesus' death on your behalf, you might be given the gift of the Holy Spirit to empower you to live a life that is fully and completely honoring to God. And so I wonder, have you trusted in Jesus? Have you expressed your faith in him and his sacrifice on your behalf that you can be forgiven and made right with God? If you have never trusted Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. I think it is the most important decision that you can make in life. And so all you do to trust Jesus is simply express your faith in Jesus in prayer to God. And so let me put a prayer on the screen here. And what I want to do is I want to just lead you through this prayer. And if you want to trust Christ, this, this is an opportunity to do that. Now, understand, this is not a magic prayer, okay? You don't have to say these exact words. This is just a template to guide you in expressing faith in Jesus, and so I, I'm just going to pray. And if you want to, if you want to trust Christ, you can follow along with these words, either out loud or in your head. And uh, let, let's just go to God in prayer. God, I admit that my life does not honor you. I acknowledge my need for Jesus. I believe He died for me, and that You raised Him from the dead. I place my trust in His death on my behalf to forgive me and restore me to you, amen. Listen, if you made a decision today to trust Jesus, we would love to connect with you. If you've got questions about, okay, what does this really mean and what does this look like? uh, We would love to have the opportunity to to talk with you, to answer questions that you have. And so let me encourage you to do something. Uh, adabible.info. Uh, under this weekend, there's a tab there, there is a spot that says Trust Jesus. And so you can uh, send us a message. We'll reach out to you. One of our pastors, one of our staff would love to connect with you, help you take next steps in your faith, answer any questions that you have. Also, I know that this has been a very challenging conversation today. Some of us are wrestling with some areas of life that we're just going, that does not honor God, and I don't know exactly what to do about it would you reach out to us? We would love to be able to walk with you through that. It would be our privilege. Friends, it has been an honor to open the scriptures with you today and I'm really looking forward to next week. Hope you're able to join us for the finale of this series on Daniel. We'll see you next time.